I don't think that other countries make their beers in 30 racks, do they? I don't think so. I don't see that being another, like, well, no, Mexico. Tecate. Yeah, and and they kind of went that way, too. But I think that's because of the American American model. And I think Tecate is made in America now. Or not made, but maybe packaged and distributed. Or owned by an American company or some shit. But I kind of think the same thing happened with sports, too. Because we have, we invented football, I think. American football. American football. We stole Disc- basketball from the Canadians. Really? Uh, I'm pretty sure James Naismith was Canadian. Like, it's right on that border. Okay. And Ooh, This is like a comedy thing. Like, when people are like, who are your favorite comedians? And people are like, ooh, those aren't American Canadians. Or those aren't American comedians. Yeah. Like Jim Carrey, Mike Myers. I'm probably dating myself here. Mike Myers. Ryan Reynolds is Canadian. Yeah. Well, there's a, a certain kind of import-export for it. But with sports... We've almost built so many other sports to enjoy that you kind of forget about like going over into places like Ireland or Japan. Certain countries have adapted to American stuff, Mm -hmm. but there's most countries that literally have like one thing that they do well. And if it's soccer, if it's hockey, if it's fucking cricket, I, I, I would love to understand cricket. I don't. Rugby. Rugby, yeah. Like, they, there's these certain old-timey games that if that's the only thing that they have, that's the only thing that they love. Yeah. And I don't think that's a safe environment to be in. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of crazy that we invented, why did we invent our own thing with that? I mean, we always kind of tried to invent our own thing. Like, the, the automobile was invented in America, correct? Uh, or was Germany working on that too at the same time? I see Germany being someone that worked on that too. Well, the Industrial Revolution kind of happened everywhere, and that's what led oh, to more engines. Oh, it was probably in fucking England then. Could have been. Because that's where the birthplace of that was. That probably makes sense. Like steam-powered shit, probably trains, all that stuff. Yeah, that's probably where it came from. But with sports, we were just like, nope, we're going to invent baseball, which baseball, and you can say whatever you want about tracing the the you know origins of stuff back, Modern baseball was invented in uh, the United States. However, it was heavily based upon games that had been being played. Like, oh, yeah. like how you see anyone hitting a rock with a stick. That's what the entire point of, like, I'm not trying to, like, say that I'm cheapening it, but that's what the entire point of baseball is. You had someone throwing the rock. You had someone trying to hit the rock. And you had other people out there trying to get the rock once it was hit or if it was hit. It that So that was born out of any culture that had rocks and sticks around them. Yeah, acorns, just literally anything round that you could throw and then anything you could swing with. And we have smaller, modern, adapt. I guess maybe less modern, because like mm. stickball and wiffle ball and shit like that were all just adapting off of baseball, probably. It's when you didn't have the, have the resources to yeah, play a full it, game of baseball. You created your own shit. Yeah, so same kind of thing with, I think, football. Football became kind of, I don't know if it started out, because it was a collegiate thing before it was professional. And, and I'm then, sure rugby is somehow older than football. Yes, and I'm sure they took things from rugby and they were like, because look at the ball. I mean, even the ball itself. Very similar. And so they, I think, then just developed it. Like, what if we, instead of just like tossing the ball a couple times and running it so much, we make it where you have to throw. Well, the forward pass didn't even get invented for the longest time. Long done. So they basically took it to a situation and said, rugby is too... It's there's not enough stopping and starting in rugby. It's a constant flow. Like you're going up the field, you only get stopped when the ball gets stopped and they go into the scrum, I guess. I don't know the rules of it. But football, they were just like, let's just tweak it enough to say, hey, let's 
develop plays or a strategy that you can do between your downs or whatever they consider it. Let's add more of a cerebral nature to this. The most basic sport or game or thing you can do is just move something with your feet. And that's, I think, why soccer, for full disclosure, because we refer also to football, which it's also football season right now in the United States, we're just going to call it soccer. We understand the rest of the world calls it football, so if there's any international listeners, I'm sorry if we we sound like we're using garbage language, but I understand it is called football over there. We're going to call it soccer. (laughs) I grew up playing soccer, and I always called it soccer, so naturally for me, that's what I'm going to call it. I... I... I love sports. I don't. I just full disclosure. This whole thing. Don't get soccer. Don't like soccer. I, I have tried to play it on multiple occasions. It makes no sense. I'm a little bit bigger of a fan of like indoor where the field's smaller because the action seems it's fast paced. Yeah, but that's it, still tiring as fuck. And well, I I played like yeah. full field soccer outside. I just it feels like organized exercise to me. Anytime when you develop a word so you don't have to say nothing. Like, when you say nil, mm-hmm. as soon as you hear the word nil, you just know that it's soccer. Yeah. Because they didn't want to say, well, this team spent goal. 90 minutes on what the field. Other, what other sport uses the term goal? Uh, field goal. I guess it's mm. similar because it's kicked. Yeah, but if you goal said... Goal in hockey? If someone just said, though, goal, what sport does that say? Goal! I would say you could still cross it over. Yeah, if you say it, goal! <laughs> Then it's, it's soccer, but... I think they still do that in hockey. It's like, goal! And hey. they just put the horns in now, so it's, it oh. overshadows that. So <laughs> it's just like... I, 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 if you love soccer, that's fantastic. I'm it's happy getting, for it, you. It is getting popular uh, here, though, too. Do not, you want to know why I think household. it's getting popular here? I think it's because we, as a country, have the obsession of being the best at everything. And so we know that we are not the best at soccer. And I think there's a push to why we have MLS teams now and everything like that, which I mean, that helps us develop like our soccer players being younger, but this is, this is also where we're doing this during the world cup. Uh, the United States did just get eliminated. I think yesterday by the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) but here's the thing. Like, I don't think people pay close enough attention to soccer in this country. So when, it, it's not a moneymaker. It's not, not right now. It, I think it has the potential to be, especially as we get, I think it's going to change where we're not going to be getting European lit players on their last leg coming in for a paycheck. Cause that's kind of our thing. right? Did now. you see Messi shit? Is he coming to play in the MLS? Miami FC paid him. Like he's going to be making like a hundred million dollars a year or some shit like that. He's to coming pl- to play for major league soccer. Yeah. in MLS. I, I believe so. I'm not, I wonder if, did Ronaldo get re-signed? Because he just Ronaldo got, is going to be playing for the Saudi league. Two hundred right. million that's dollar. Right. It's like the LIV. Yeah, he's he's making like two hundred million a year. Yeah, Jesus. <coughs> I, I I don't even understand how you count that. Like that's that's ridiculous. I know. Um, so like the reason why I think soccer is so big worldwide. I'm trying to figure out how I'm, how we're just going to go into where I'm going to get the music in here. We're talking. Do you want to do you want to just tell everyone and then I can go into the music? Yeah, um, we decided that since it's World Cup time, <clears throat> I don't know why my voice is going in and out, but since it's World Cup time, it's an emotional topic. Uh, yeah, that's up. what it is. Uh, instead of just going like talking about like how the World Cup was made or anything like that, 
for some reason, we wanted to go a little bit darker, so we picked three of the biggest soccer disasters to happen all over the world. Shockingly enough, two of them happened with the same team. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize that really till I got into it. But um, yeah, before we hit the music, we are going to be talking about the Heisel disaster, the Hillsborough disaster, and the Estadio Nacional disaster. Music. Music. So before we get into the actual, like, disasters, kind of with soccer, because it was so easy to play, all you needed was something you could kick around, which I'm guessing could have been, maybe it started out with a rock. I don't really know, man. But I know that they have found in... Some started out with skulls. Well, going back to, like, the Incans, the Mayans and everything, they have found, I don't know if it was the Incans, the Mayans, or the Aztecs. But I know that they found areas where they were stone surrounded areas that were like a playing court and they would play games. They found markers and stuff like that. They probably also, I think, found some type of like stands stands. Um, and then I almost want to say drawings, like some type of pictographs or what, whatever you would consider mm-hmm. in, in those cultures. But that like describe like the sport. So that explains why it's so huge in, you know, South America, Mexico, those areas. And then over in you know, Europe, where it's still, you know, where it's huge as well, um, where it's their primary sport, again, with like South America and Mexico, it, it was just someone, again, it's it's like the pyramid thing. I always heard that soccer was invented by milkmaids that didn't have anything else to do during the day. I don't know if that's true. I'd like to believe that it's true. Is, is it any crazier than someone hanging up a, a milk crate or a basket on a pole and trying to put something in it? And making a game out of it. Yeah, I, I guess it, not. I I think everything does come from, baseball came from kids playing with sticks and everything comes from I don't know where basketball humble, would have come from. Huh? Basketball? Yeah, where do you think that would have come from? Basketball came from somebody, you know when you see like, it's, you see like the, it's <coughs> always in like the shots of like classic Americana and you'll see just like a basketball hoop nailed to like a light pole, like in rural America or whatever. Mm-hmm. It started out with a box milk crate the wooden ones that you would carry produce or dairy stuff in, someone just nailed it up high and then made a game of trying to put, I don't know, fucking head of lettuce. It could have been anything. Yeah. Through it. And they made a game like, hey, try to stop me from putting this through it. Naismith was a, I believe it was a peach basket that he hung up. There you go. But it doesn't really have like a, there's no other real ancient sport that seems to come close to it. To like, soccer? No. Oh, to to soccer, it's just an ancient sport. Yes. But, like, to basketball, there's not really, like, a close relative. I guess maybe, like, a handball type deal. Yeah. Uh, It just, soccer seems like it's the... like, high lie. Yeah, could be. Soccer is just the most logical thing that you can do, because you you always kick stuff around, kick the can, all that goofy Mm -hmm. shit that they used to do when people didn't have anything else to do. Like, soccer, it's a primal sport. And now it's more of an acting sport, but at the same time, they do some of the most athletic moves that the I think you paid, see. They're they're still the highest paid athletes in the world. Yeah. Well, and and the reason that I think I'm focusing so much on the origins and like the the creation of soccer is because what we're going to talk about, like we don't see fandom and we don't see incidents like that in our country. We've seen occurrences, but not like 
These are just three examples. You can go through soccer incidents or soccer, you know, riots and everything where people have died. And good luck freeing up any fucking time if you want to look into that. Uh, it's in America when somebody wins a championship, that's when the riot happens. Like yeah. the, the celebration is the riot. These three that we're talking about and most of the other issues that happen on soccer pitches or around be, soccer like, stadiums. Like you said, it has to be a championship. Yeah. That's this shit happens new. after a like a fucking Tuesday loss. Well, and um, kind of going back just a little bit in current day, October first mm-hmm. um, in Indonesia, they had a a disaster that happened at a soccer stadium, which is eerily reminiscent to one of the ones that we're going to be talking about. But it was um, down in it was in Indonesia, and it killed more than one hundred and thirty people. So even modern day, like less two months ago, something like that, modern day Indonesia, after a soccer match, they were trying to clear the stadium, Mm -hmm. fired tear gas up into the stands, a stampede happened. I don't think that has, I I was reading examples, anytime there's tear gas involved. Oh, it's not good. It turns, it turns horrible. Like, and it's like, they don't see that. Well, and. FIFA stepped into Indonesia and they're like, "We this is a banned thing. You can't do this. If you're going to be a part of the FIFA organization, you can't use tear gas to try to quell any issues because FIFA knows. If any sports organization knows that tear gas is a bad idea, it's FIFA. Like they, they pretty much have that market court. They've done enough research to know that that's just what it is. FIFA, the tear gas league. And... A lot of the stuff we actually <clears throat> talked about in the lead-in that, well, some of it probably got cut at the beginning, but so in Europe and all of these, two of the incidents take place in Europe. One of the incidents we're going to talk about takes place in Peru. Is it in, is it, yeah, it was in, in, in Lima, right? Yeah. So because soccer was these people's national sport, the big difference to all of our listeners here in the U.S. that aren't familiar with international soccer it's not just like imagine our professional sports like um think of it like baseball we have we have farm systems for baseball and we have like single a double a triple a so smaller towns will have like a double a team or a triple a team but you don't really hear hear about them if you live in that town maybe you're a fan maybe you go to games here and there in europe they have so many teams. It's not just like what you hear about with like the Premier League, like Manchester United and um let's see. I can't fucking remember. Well like Manchester, um, West Ham United, uh Wrexham is in one of the really, really lower leagues, and that one's gotten a lot of traction because of like the documentary and all that kind of stuff. But you also have the European leagues, all the French leagues, um but then those are like the premier ones. Why can't I think of any of the fucking names of the premier besides Man U? It's a, it's a different system set up because over in America here, we have the MLB, we have the NFL, we have the NBA. Over there, they have it's it's a year round sport. You're playing La Liga, you're playing Champions League, you're playing um, the FA Cup. Yeah, everything over there is like it's basically like a cluster of teams that play mm-hmm. in these certain leagues in some of these teams like Man U plays in multiple different leagues, don't they? 
I don't know. Well, I mean, I think they can play in multiple, not leagues, because they're a Premier League team. Uh, Liverpool, Chelsea, Crystal Palace, those are just some other ones. But the, in, I think, like, Aston Villa and all that. But, but in order can, to get to Championship League, or the Champions League, you have to go through the Premier League. You have to no, be the from Premier La League. No, the Premier is the top one. That's what's so confusing, is it's like, let's see. So I would just say Premier, or what would it be, Leagues of Soccer? I don't know. Yeah. So you have, you know, like you're saying, La Liga, English Football League, Premier League, MLS, um, the UAF champions, you, you know, MLS here in the United States. But in Europe, they have in the Premier League is like cream of the crop. That's like the NFL professional, what they consider. I mean, they, it's not professional because what it is is you have... They're all professional. It's just a top tier in a professional organization. Correct. That's what's so crazy. So you have all these tiers. So I think in English or in England, you have five tiers. I could be wrong about that. But you have your Premier League. Then you have the Champions League. Then you have like one, two, three. I think it's just in all of Europe, though. Because like Juventus, a team that we'll be talking about, came... I, I don't know if they're in the Champions League or what, but Juventus is a very large team that's from Italy. Correct. But I think in order to be in those leagues or to like, so premier league, I think might be, again, we might be completely wrong on this. I probably didn't do enough research. Barcelona is always a big team. FC Barcelona. I think like in, in those different leagues, like La Liga and all that kind of stuff, I think teams can play each other internationally and stuff. But I think when it comes to the premier league, that's just in England. It's like 10 teams that play off against each other. Correct. You you can play friendlies with other teams. You have Copa championships like that go on in South America. It's, Every kind of continent has their own leagues that play in Champions Leagues, kind mm-hmm. of, and then those leagues can play. We get things like the World Cup, the Olympics has soccer, mm-hmm. fucking everything is, it's just a million different teams. There's seven tiers of English football system. So it's the Premier, then it's the English Football League Championship, then it's English League One, English League Two, National League, National League South and North, and then below. So you get teams, kind of getting back to my point on it, you get all the these, these are actual teams, up to a certain league, I want to say maybe five, the leagues below that, these are part-time players that still have day jobs, but then are playing for this this league. So they also, you know, make some money off of that. There's no TV contracts for those yep. smaller leagues. Even There's in no... League Five in the National League, you still get a couple of the teams that are actually part-time teams for players, but then you also have some of the bigger teams that are professional. But they're not making they're making enough money to like to break even unless they have a lot of financial backing. And as you and the crazy thing is it's the relegation and promotion portion of it. So if you're like down in like League Four and you place within the top percentage one or two teams, you get to move up into League Three. But if you place last in your division, like the one or two or three spots, you move down to the league below. So you can constantly fluctuate. So you get literally tons of teams in all of these smaller towns throughout the country. And what, because they've been around for so long, some of these teams can trace their origins back to like, like 1890 and like before world war one and you get these if you're born in this city you automatically it's not like you know where we're at adam what our private teams are in different states than us yeah and we didn't grow up even locally in those areas but because we don't have anything here or even remotely close to us really we branched out we're able to find other teams like think of what it would be like if 
I wish we had that opportunity to see what that would be like. If we had, our city would be perfect for a local smaller team with our population. There are places in, in Europe where the population of the city is like, you know, 80,000 and they support a team because the capacity at the stadium is like 10,000 and they can fill it. You would have, I'm not thinking, not, don't think of the logistics of it. Don't be like, eh, I don't know if we have enough people. Wouldn't it be cool if we had a team here and we could be hardcore fans and ride or die with that team, even if we knew they sucked because everyone else in the city is a fan of that team. You're not walking around and you're like, hey, your team sucks and we're wearing different jerseys and stuff like that. It's like a a community thing. That's crazy. That's like that's an awesome thought, though. The reason that it is that way there and it's not so much over here is American teams are usually corporate backed or not corporate. Backed, it's all about profitability. Yeah, I get it. They're owned by like a, a single family. They're owned by minority owners or a conglomerate or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, Talking about like Wrexham, Wrexham is more of like a, it's a soccer team in Wales and they're mostly owned by the city. If these teams were like, well, not anymore, they're not, but the city still has like, they own the, don't they own the uh, stadium? It's, it's been brought under the trust of like the team now. But it isn't was, it, the but trust the also run by the city? No, they, that's what happened is the city had brought it, had bought it and was owning the team to keep it afloat in the city's trust. What happened is when Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney came in, they basically took over financial ownership, but also the financial running. So the community, it was like, not even now Green Bay is owned by the city. Yeah. But Green Bay makes enough money. The Packers organization makes enough that no one from the city ever has to really chip in. They don't raise your taxes unless maybe they're doing a new stadium, but you're not paying for the running of the team. The city for Wrexham, people were having to pay to pay players salaries the upkeep of everything they were financially supporting the team lambo does that no, I does but that. what i'm saying is the packers as itself as an entity and as an organization makes enough money merchandising game tickets all that stuff i understand the ticket sales support it and those are bought by the people of the community what i'm saying is people from the community outside of ticket sales and going to games they're not actively being required if they want to keep the team afloat to pitch in and like be like we need money to run the Packers. You don't think there's taxes that they pay? That Not unless go. they go to pay improvements and maybe stuff like that, but and it might be a little bit like that, but in the case of some of these or in Wrexham now Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds, they now they have a company it's called like RR Mick Reynolds or something. That's who owns the team is their is their company now, and that's like who's a corporation. also corporation. Yep, and that's why they were responsible. I, did you end up watching the documentary? I haven't finished. I think I have like two episodes left. They had remember when they had, they had to redo the turf, yeah, and they found out how much it cost. They were responsible for that, mm-hmm. and so that's why they were like Jesus Christ. It's also because Wales just doesn't have any money. Wrexham doesn't. It's a it's a economically depressed town. Correct. But and that's because, and they do make some money off the league, but that's why also getting promoted is such a big deal is because when you get promoted, you know how like in the NFL, the teams get a share of the NFL profits and everything. Yeah. Revenue share. Revenue sharing. It's kind of like that as well with the leagues, but the higher you go, the more revenue sharing happens, which allows you to then get better players, better facilities, things like that. So kind of getting back to why this is even relevant to this is you're going to find a situation where all of these stadiums where these disasters happened are either caused by fans going at each other 
or you're having a situation where people are packing these stands with so many people that it becomes essentially like the term that they keep using, the crush. Did you ever really hear that before? Not with humans involved. No, it's such a crazy fucking term to apply to humans and then say being crushed to death. That's like biblical shit when you hear about being crushed to death. Yeah, it's a lot of the things that I saw, like the the victims that they found were like naked because they were crushed to a point where like clothes were ripped off. Mm Mm-hmm. To rip off another human's clothes while being crushed is just a like I don't really understand. You're just scrambling and clawing. The to si- try to yeah, crawl the you. science of it just doesn't really click for me. So go and let's go to the first one. So I are, did these um, in order of deaths and injuries. I think that's probably smart to do. And it seems like uh, kind of what we were talking about just a little bit ago with like local teams and that kind of thing. Excuse me, uh, hooliganism, I'm sure, happens in those areas. Some of these, though, like, you have certain levels in your towns where you have that kind of support and love. Mm-hmm. But when you ratchet up to national teams is yeah. when you get the entire country. Well, imagine imagine in this sense. So, like, and that's an entirely, I don't know if that should be an episode in itself. Or at least some come back into play at some point. But the fact that, and that should go to speak about how serious these people are. We have fans here. And we do have diehard fans. We have some crazy people. I love watching videos of people punching their TVs after Super their team fans, loses. People it is fucking hilarious to me. However, I don't know if I've seen an instance, maybe a couple of times, when I when you have a group of fans from one team and a group of fans from another team arrange pre-matchup to meet somewhere to beat the shit out of each other just, just because you're fans of those teams. And that's what you get with hooliganism for these, you know, English soccer teams is you have these, they call themselves firms. And basically it's a group of dudes that are supporters of the team and they will arrange prior to matchups. They'll go to the games, of course, but sometimes they'll prior to the games, arrange matchups with the firms of another team to literally fight prior to, and then go to the game. These fan bases name themselves like Liverpool. Aren't they the Reds? Isn't that what the fans are called is the Reds? It's like, well, the Manchester United have the Red Army too, so I don't know. But I think they might be the Reds or something. Because then also the Welsh team is the Red Dragon. There's a lot of Red. A lot of it. And well, red Coats, Britain. I think maybe could it's be. a common theme. Yeah. But they're so diehard that like traveling to a stadium doesn't – it's not like traveling to a stadium here. Like people fly in and all that stuff. These people will board buses, like full-on commuter buses, like eight and ten of them at a time. On a weeknight. Yeah, on like a Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, and that's the other thing that is crazy about this. Uh, Some of these teams are playing twice a week. Away game, home game. And so one of them is, I think, the schedule is Tuesdays and Saturdays. And you have people, like you said, boarding buses. They bus fans in. Riding all night. And then getting done with the game and getting back at one o'clock in the morning and going to work the next day and doing that every week. Uh, Yeah. Any mode of transportation that they can get to together. And of course they're drinking and singing and partying on the way. And this first one that we're going to talk about the Heisel disaster doesn't take place in either one of these countries. It takes place in Brussels, Belgium. And it's a game between Liverpool, which is in what part of Liverpool, England. Yeah. And then Juventus, which is in Italy. 
it, oh, is you Italy? It had to be a neutral site because wasn't it? Was it? An, it was a European Cup final yeah. match. And this is kind of what we were talking about. We were talking about the smaller system, but this is on a countrywide level. So yes. you're not getting just fans from a certain city. You're getting fans from the entire country that support. That's what these I'm saying. Teams. You have your if you had like let's say you had firms or diehard fans that are fans of the teams within your country. Now anybody, if it's an international, and these ones weren't international, what I'm saying is now you have all those firms coming together to support the country team because they have players on that team. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we'll fucking kill you most of the year if we have to get next to you. But guess what? It's national. It's national team time. Yep, nationalism we're kicks fucking in. Buddies. Yeah. You're you're our representative, mm-hmm. so we're gonna back you. And Juventus fans seem to. <laughs> They're the victims here. Oh, yeah. It's pretty much easy to say. Um, in Brussels, they knew that there was going to be a conflict. So prior to the match, they really tried to keep these two teams separate and yeah. tried to keep all the fan bases separate because they knew that there was going to be a boiling point at some some situation that happened. And they tried legitimately, and they did finish this game. But they try to do everything that they can to get to kickoff because once kickoff happens, it's very hard to shut a situation down. Yeah. And I think and fans from English soccer kind of worldwide at this point, and I'm not sure if it's still a, a thing now, but tended to have worse reputations than teams from other countries just based upon what it ha- what happens at their matches there, but also how they travel and incidents that occur like on a you know neutral sites and everything. So there was more of kind of a leaning toward making sure they're keeping the Liverpool fans under control. Um, did you watch any any like footage of any of these? Unfortunately, okay. yes. Did you see like the lead ups to it? Um, I did, and a few of them. <laughs> this lead up seems like it was a it was just destined to fail, and it was planning that went wrong. But then it was the escalation of the fans. So when they load up the stadiums, just in order to keep everything separate. They had the Juventus fans. I think they came from the north side of the stadium. They where separated they them basically either. I can't remember if it was north and south, but opposite sides of the stadium yes. to bring the fans in. They don't let, you know, in in like our sports. You buy a ticket and that's wherever you Yeah, sit. that's why when the camera pans over at an NFL game, if it's an away game, you'll see most of the home fans. But then you'll also see the... the Sprinkled in. And yeah. sometimes they will try to keep groups of fans together if they can to open up in soccer that's part of the like hardcore planning is like this is going to be the portion of the stadium that's these fans and they have divider systems Mm -hmm. and systems to like kind of keep people corralled in in, and kind of penned into these areas kind of what i was talking about the lead up to it when there's matches like this the entire like they shut down an entire area it's not just the stadium. I think that's another thing we kind of were talking about during part of the lead-in that will end up not being part of this, but planning, city planning. When you look at where these stadiums are, the stadiums are like built in just to the city or, or part of like residential areas. Like across the street are like storefronts or like apartments or houses and stuff. So they're smack dab in the middle. So when it's like game day and you have some of these stadiums how much did the brussels stadium hold how many people do you remember i want to say it was between 50 and sixty thousand. okay so you have prior to the game it's not like our stadiums where it's a huge parking lot surrounded by a stadium that's outside the city think of more like fenway you have wrigley to, field you have to use the 
uh, mass transit systems in order to get to these places. And not only that, you're showing up, and you, before they even open the stadium, you have all these fans walking up and down the street, going into bars, milling about. So you close down these entire blocks, and all it is is just basically these masses of fans traveling off, like you're saying, the public transportation systems from train stations and stuff, and they're walking. So even leading up, you have like 60,000 people you have all these groups of fans intermingling. And then even part of this is you would then have local authorities trying to keep the fans separated from each other in different like sections of the city to get into their, to get into the stadium. It's just, I I think it gets lost when people kind of look at international sports and like, it's, it's bigger than ours. Hands down. There's like nothing. Ours, I would say that there is no sporting event in this country that has like, even maybe three quarters of the amount of support people, people. Yes. I would say the closest thing that we could get to would be like a college football game. Yes. But at the same time, you're playing all across the country. So fan support, like if they release tickets to the big house, I think the big house holds 106,000 people. Mm -hmm. There's going to be 20,000 tickets that are sent to whatever other team that's coming Mm -hmm. in to sell because there's not going to be that much travel. Yeah. Where we're talking about with these and they're bussing people in, and this I think goes to the fact that Europe and just that whole area over there mm-hmm. is like the size of fucking Texas here. Yeah. But there's so much travel that they're selling 50-50 splits at these stadiums, mm-hmm. and there's no concern that they're gonna sell out because they just know that there's that much of a diehard fandom. Yeah, like how many people from Brussels are going to this game? They're um, selling some, but some no, I, but they're selling out this stadium on these two different fan bases. Yeah. And it it truly makes it a neutral site. Mm -hmm. And so basically everyone, and of course they're fucking, it's not like they're limiting the amount of like people drinking before this. They actually do. I was very surprised. At the game or before? At the game. I I meant before. They don't have any control over what happens before. I was very shocked to know their system of how soccer organizations allow drinking like at games and before, not necessarily before, because you can get as loaded up as you want, I think, oh, yeah. to come in. But during games, I always thought that it was just like here, because they'll sell beer till I think like the seventh inning for baseball mm-hmm. games. They'll sell beer till the fourth quarter for basketball mm-hmm. games and football games, I'm sure. But, excuse me, it's on demand. You can get it whenever you want. As long mm-hmm. as you're willing to wait in that line or you're rich enough to have somebody bring them to you. Like oh, I was going to say baseball game, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hey, they they walk them to you're you. You're making it too easy. And over there, you're only allowed to drink, I think it's pregame before you walk into the stadium. And then halftime, you're allowed to drink, but you're not allowed to drink within sight of the pitch. Mm-hmm. So you actually have to leave your seat and go to a certain area, like a pub inside the stadium to drink. And then once halftime is over, you have to abandon your drink or finish it or whatever, and then walk Abandoned. back to the stadium. Oh, you fucking yeah, pounded. You or you pounded the two that you're holding in front of you, knowing you have to go back in the stadium. And that's got to last you for the next 45 minutes. I don't know if they allow them to bring the alcohol no, 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 back no, no, to no, the no. seats. Though. I mean... You have two. Oh, and then, then you're trying to pound both of them to because beat you got time. yeah, because you got 45 minutes left in in the game. So in this situation, there was just, and I, we're not trying to gloss over these, but we have three disasters, and some of them are going to require more in depth kind of discussion. So this one was basically fan on fan. This one was extremely fucked up, and it wasn't really fan on fan. It was like fans on other fans that were like, "What the fuck?" So. Yeah, and what led to the disaster happening was before the game started, the Liverpool fans, 
in a certain section. There was a section X and a section Z. Don't know where Y was. I think Y just may have been a walkway. But between sections X and section Z, um, section X was for the Liverpool fans and Z was for the Juventus fans. A, opposite sides. Yeah, opposite sides of the stadium, but in a, in a corner like behind a goal, I believe, is where it was. But one of the Liverpool fans got up on another fan's shoulders and held up a Juventus flag, and then it was lit an it Italian on flag. A giant was it a giant it a, flag? It was an Italian flag. And they burned the Italian flag before the game, which obviously pissed off every single Juventus fan. Which then led them to start throwing shit, cans, whatever they could get a hold wasn't, of, rocks. Wasn't there? There was something that there was a mistake though within the seating. So they did separate them for the most part, like on opposite sides of the pitch, like behind each goal. There was something that happened, I want to say, in this one, because I remember, because it was the fan-on-fan one, where somehow, on the edge, they had started seating Liverpool people. That's why what happened is, because when they saw it, that's when... It was oversold. Because remember, stuff started getting thrown. And if you're trying to throw it across the entire pitch, you're not going to fucking... You couldn't do that. So it was a fan group that shouldn't have been sitting next to them, but that's where stuff started getting thrown. It starts getting thrown, but at the same time, the only thing that's separating them is just a fence. Yeah. like And it's not like a, a sturdy, solid fence. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like a, a temporary gate, like at a concert, but like it's if you get enough people going at this thing, collapsible. it's yes. And as soon as the fans had had enough on the Liverpool side from getting shit thrown at them, they started pushing towards this fence. They end up going through the fence, and once these two teams start commingling, once the fans start commingling, shit just goes off the rails. And there was such a push from Liverpool fans that Juventus fans that were trying to get away from the action and the carnage were pushing back towards another side on the other side of Section Z, and it was a concrete wall. And as they're being pushed, once you run into that concrete wall and you can't get it, unless you're getting up and over it, there's nowhere to go. It wasn't tall enough where some people started scrambling up it, but I think they had to climb on other people's shoulders. shoulders and yeah. then people were bending down to try to carry yep. to pick people up. But yeah, I mean, you're basically when you get that like mass of people moving, I don't know what that's like. I've been in situations where I've been shoulder to shoulder with people at a concert and everything, but everyone's just standing there. And mm-hmm. everyone kind of knows that the rule is if you're starting to get pushed or you feel too like you can turn and say something. And even that's like a little claustrophobic. Like there's too many fucking people in here. Yeah. But like imagine you are just getting forced against a fucking like brick wall and there's you're nothing you, you, you have do. no control. It's just a wall of bodies pushing against you. And if you think that like, yeah, you could put your hands against that wall and push back or anything, maybe if there was two people behind you, but you've got hundreds. Yes. And it's just, unfortunately. And the game's going on. Isn't the game going on at this time? The game had started at this point and I don't know how far, I think there were only like six minutes in when it started. Maybe that was the second game. Maybe that was Hillsborough, and I might be getting them mixed up. But the game had started because they ended up finishing the game and didn't end up telling anybody afterwards until what – like they didn't tell the fit or the players or anything like what how happened. How do you fucking not know that's going on? I, how, how do you not hear? Like I, I don't understand. Like I know that like crowds are making a lot of noise and everything like that when you're playing and, and you can't hear stuff. But when you're hearing people screaming for their lives – like, how is, like, the goalie behind you isn't, like, looking back being, like, fuck, like, time out, like. Well, eventually, I don't know what kind of pull the players have to stop that. 
Like, I don't know if they can just walk off the field together and say there's something bad going on. Not to mention, this is a European Cup final, so this is a, a championship game. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very big deal that's going on outside of the stadium in the entire country of Europe, or in the entire continent of mm-hmm. Europe. Everybody's watching this game, so I'm sure that it was partially that. But unfortunately, that wall in Section Z that everybody was getting pushed up against ended up collapsing finally just because it was an older stadium. I saw the footage. They had like the, what do they call them? It's not uh, cops or police. They call them something else. Bobbies. This was in Brussels, so I can't remember what they call them. Um, But anyway, they had guys on the other side of the wall the entire time just trying to pull people out of it. Like handing, and hey, this isn't just fucking like guys. In here, these are like where families are and everything. Women, children. Here's the other thing too. Um, this actually kind of these people aren't in seats. Like I don't know if people are thinking like if they're sitting in seats and how that's happening. At, at a lot of these soccer stadiums, they don't have a lot of them now because of shit like this happening. Most soccer stadiums that you see now, if you're watching it on TV, everyone's sitting down. For for the most part, they have areas at some smaller stadiums and older stadiums that they've kept where it is standing room. Yep. And what it basically is is if you look at it. It looks like just a, a flight of stairs. It's a but tier ima- system. Yeah, and imagine each step is only about, you know, six inches tall, and it's maybe like, what, like maybe a foot or two wide. So you have standing room, so it's not like a staircase, but... You're just able to see over oh, the people Yeah, over the, the next person, and so you're standing during the entire game. So this is where, like, a lot of the firms will be, or, like, the really hardcore fans, because, of course, mm-hmm. the seats are cheaper. Mm-hmm. What that also is, there's no... As soon as that dividing fence falls... There's nothing else to keep people separate or anything Zero like that. Zero barrier. You fall down, you're just getting trampled. And that also means that people can just keep moving forward and compacting into other people. And so eventually, like you said, the fucking, a fucking cement wall. So much fucking force. It's just, it's smushing grapes, except for the grapes are people. And a lot of the Juventus fans that did see this actually left their seats and circled around and were fighting with police outside of the stadium to try to get to Liverpool fans because there is such a a feeling of support in these firms and in these groups of fans that they wanted to go out and fight for their people because they saw the Juventus fans in Section Z just getting mm-hmm. stomped and shit was being thrown back and forth. There were... I <laughs> but think of that rationality. You go out and you're like, okay, so it's these Liverpool fans that are crushing us and... And everything, so let's go out and fight the fucking cops. Well, that <laughs> not even like you're not even in Liverpool. It's not even like you're fighting like the Liverpool cops. So it's like these people live here. It's like we're in fucking Brussels. <laughs> the other thing that it, it was completely lost on me, just being an American. But I saw a video of a guy firing a starting pistol for like a a track race. Mm-hmm. At a police officer. Like, that was the amount of firepower that they had. Like, here in America, people would just be like, oh, shit, i got to run back to my car and grab my gun. Yeah. But over there, it was one guy with, like, a starting pistol for a track event that was trying to fire it at a police officer. It's well, like, I mean, and they got, like, brass knuckles. Yeah, and they do, but that's all hand-to-hand stuff. Yeah. Like, this guy, even a starting pistol, you probably have to be, like, 10 feet away to get close to it. It's like shooting with a fucking flare gun. Well, and it doesn't even have it. It's got a blasting cap in the yeah. end. But, and so people have died. Like, if you are doing, like, a thing where you have uh-huh. it, like, against your skin, but 10 feet away, I mean, if you hit him in the eye, maybe. <laughs> it's not going to do anything. No. no. It's just going to piss him off, and he's going to walk if over If anything, he's just going to pull out his, his real gun and fucking shoot yep. you. 
I, I don't know if they carry them over there. I don't think they do. But it, it's a situation where anything that you could use as a weapon was being used as a weapon. So there were people that were throwing hunks of concrete from the wall. I was about that to just ask collapsed. you, like, picking up fucking pieces from the fucking wall. It rebarged so, anything that they could get their hands on. So what was the what did the end result end up being for this one? Um, UEFA, which is the governing body over there, I, it's... I think it's what UEFA, so like Union of Europe or football organization or something like that association. Whoever was the big, big, big dick leader of the soccer for international soccer. Yeah, the UEFA F is probably for federation, probably. But they banned all English soccer clubs from participating in any UEFA events for five years, which it was only Liverpool. So England kind of took the brunt of it. But hooliganism kind of comes from a English background, mm-hmm. and hooliganism is the assholes that go. They're the provocateurs of these events. They're the ones that start fights. They're the ones that Throw chase fans down. And and, yes, yeah. they're the ones that chase fans down in the street when they see you wearing the wrong jersey. They're just they're fuck ups that unfortunately. A good have, example would be you remember um, on Euro trip. Yeah. When they get hooked up and it's Vinnie Jones with the Manchester United team and they're mm-hmm. traveling to France to pay him. And as soon as they get off the bus, they're like, hey, that wanker's got whatever the Euro- or French guy says. <laughs> He's like, let's give him a fucking good kicking. And they all just fucking chase this guy down. A wildly underrated movie. Eurotrip's fucking fantastic. That should have been part of the research was to watch that. So it was six years, right? Uh, was it six or five? Okay, so I oh, thought that's what it was. Okay. Liverpool so, got an extra year, right? Liverpool got six. All the other English soccer teams got three. They not only fucked it up for Liverpool, they actually fucked it up for all of the English soccer teams who got a three-year ban on it. Which, that's to me, it makes sense because it's it's not a slap on the wrist. And they saw a lot of these things kind of start to really affect them. When you think of the, the teams being banned from UEFA stuff, it's like, okay, big deal. They can still play each other. But the actual players that they were going to be getting didn't want to go play for these teams if they weren't going to be allowed in UEFA events. That's a paycheck. So yeah, they they started to see an exodus from fan, or from players wanting to come into these teams, and it really kind of crippled English soccer for a long time. That's the thing too that I think it might be kind of uh, an unknown about like some of these teams is that. These aren't just guys from, I mean, in some of the leagues, they are guys like that are more like local or from the same country. A Liverpool, though, a Man U. Those are international. Those are guys coming to play from, you know, Africa. Those are guys coming to play from South America, Mexico. They're basically have the ability to create super teams to make the best team. So anyone looking at those teams and being like, oh, so I'm not going to get paid as much because I can't play in these when I, or I don't have a chance to compete for certain championships. Like, fuck that. I'm, I'll see in six years, three for the other teams. It, I think it really did kind of hurt them enough. It obviously for the loss of life, there were 39 people that died. There were 600 people that were injured and there were 34 people that were arrested. And math doesn't make a lot of sense. It feels like there should be more people that were arrested, but how the fuck do you arrest people that come out of a scrum like that? This is 1985. There's not a lot of cameras that are readily no. available to pick people out. And how in the fuck would you, and have seen people that are all wearing the same 39 shit, nine deaths and, Spoiler alert, this is the lowest casualty <laughs> yeah. that we're going to be talking about today. And this was, again, a section, one section of fans crushing another group of fans. This was not even a, a weapons. No. It was hand-to-hand and people throwing shit. And then the big crush. That's The, the big thing that I took out of this whole thing is there's a lot more people that have been crushed in recent history than I cared to ever mm-hmm. know before. 
so moving on from the Euro Cup final, the Heisel disaster, to the Hillsborough disaster. Again, English teams. Yeah, this is... Fucking it up for everyone. We would like to think that there was a lot of time between these. It was four years. This happened April 15th, 1989. Again, these are three examples. Go look in their word. This wasn't just like, hey, this was, you know, the next disaster. Hillsborough was the next disaster. No, this was just one in which we picked out because it had a, you know, a higher death toll. And the three that we chose seem to be three different circumstances. Mm -hmm. Like this first one was a a fan on fan violent situation that just sprung out of control and got worse. Hillsborough disaster we're going to see was a a controlling issue that they couldn't fucking figure out to save their lives. And our last one is, I would say arguably the most interesting because it feels like it was set on a national scale. It seems like there was more of a governmental influence on it. Cause. Yes, cause. Cause cause wise. All right, before we do Hillsborough, I want a piece so we don't have to take a break. Deal. All right. All right, while we take a break from class and uh, take care of some business, you can also take care of some business. If you don't follow us on Instagram or Twitter already, our Instagram handle is historically high pod. That's historically high pod. And our Twitter is historically high. That's historically HI. All right. And back to our show. Anyway, this one was in uh, Sheffield, England and the teams making a repeat back to back Liverpool against Nottingham forest, which God, they got some, (laughs) What a wild name for... <laughs> I Was Nottingham a real... Is that what got the inspiration for Robin Hood? Yeah, because it's uh, Sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah. Is the guy that he fights. It has to be. Nottingham Forest is the fucking... I didn't think it was a real place till we got into this. I thought Nottingham Forest was just something that they created for Robin Hood. Robin Hood? I, just so funny to think about all these different names and that even lends to, I'm sure the FA cup had to have been a, an English cup just because it it's to English. It's English on English. Well, yeah. And it, they were banned from UEFA play. So it would have had to have been inside of England. And in a stunning turn of events, the victims of this one just so happened to be actually the Liverpool fans. So stuff does come back around, but not saying that this, you know, I would say this one's like that. Just not deserved at all. No. This was a, a colossal fuck-up of really kind of uh, epic proportions, but at the same time, it wasn't like a... It wasn't fan-on-fan. Fan. This was 100% police that didn't know their job and didn't the know what they were The stadium opening up doors. Yeah. And opening up areas and not having crowd control or anything. Um, one thing I've learned from this, you cannot trust these fans to be responsible. No. Once you let them in or anything like that, all responsibility gone of, of how to act. You have to basically, and I'm not putting all the blame on the fans and everything, but what I'm saying is you basically, as the police presence, the stadium staff, you know, putting people where they need to be, that's your responsibility to make sure that like crazy shit doesn't go down. And it's way different too when you have a seat assignment and you're going through the turn, hey, you're in seat 13B. Again, this is a situation and why they don't have them anymore of these standing pens. They don't, but there's situations that I see like um, Dodger Stadium and Chavez Ravine. Most of the outfield is all bleachers and Mm -hmm. you pay for a seat. Same thing with Wrigley. Wrigley, the bleachers are just the bleacher seats. But they're 
but they're not just like it's so weird. I feel like the the pens they don't know have a number in their head of how many people should be in there. It's just like hey, we're they gonna do. Get, we're gonna there's there's capacity measures, but the big thing that happened in Hillsboro was the standing pens that they were sending into down on this side. When you walked into the entrance where this all took place, there were four different um, hallways that you could go down to. Okay. And the two on the outside are the two holding pens, but they're not the ones that are right behind the goal. They're still behind the goal, but they're more behind where the corner kicks are going to yeah, happen. Exactly, okay. yeah. So in that area, th- there was plenty of room for all these fans to come in because of the amount of tickets that sold. I did and there were the people that did that jump. when they had when yeah. they were shown the actual crush happening. And you look over, and the two pens right next behind the goal mm-hmm. are literally just... You can see the concrete between people's yeah. feet because there's not enough. And then you look in the middle, and it literally... I don't even know how to... A, mo- a mosh pit, but imagine a mosh pit with... You almost can't distinguish people. No, and that's one of the things that the announcers did say that you brought up was they could clearly see from where the announcers were sitting that you could see in the outer two pens, there was plenty of room. Like they could see concrete on the Mm -hmm. ground. They could see plenty of room. But when they were sending these people into these areas and there were seven turnstiles that were in this one spot, these four hallways that you branched off to the outside hallways, they said were less like there were less signage for them than there were the restrooms. The refreshments. Yeah. So they said the refreshment signs were larger and easier to distinguish than the signs telling you where to go for seating. So in, or, in order to send these people to these outside pens, of course, you're going to walk right behind the goal, I'm sure. I don't know why. If, yeah, if, if someone wasn't supervising and telling you this way, this yeah. way, this way, this way, you're just like, I'm going straight because I want the best fucking view. And that's what it was. They were sending these people through the turnstiles. It was, I think it was 45 minutes before the game. And they had something leading up to it where the chief superintendent, this guy named David Duckenfield, David Dushenfield for this, he was placed in this position of power. You can go with David fucking field. Fucking field. That's better. Yeah. Fucking field. I don't know how I missed that, but he was the one that was in charge of stadium security. He was just a, it was like the jurisdiction for the stadium fell in the jurisdiction of like the closest police station. Mm-hmm. And this was the guy that was running it. So there's so many fans that are coming in on the Liverpool side and there's seven turnstiles that they're trying to get them through. They estimated that the amount of people, it wasn't that these people showed up late. It was just that they were so unprepared to send these people yeah. in that they radioed back to Duck and Field like 45 minutes before the game. They said, we're not going to be able to get these people in in time. We have to push kickoff back. Duck and Field had the ability to, but he had promised the, st- or he promised the teams the only way it was ever going to get pushed back was like if there was a disaster on the freeway trying to get in or if there was like a, a major calamity that happened. Mm-hmm. So he's like, no, fuck that. You got 45 minutes to do this. Kickoff is staying. These people come to the turnstiles. They stopped them from needing to show tickets and started trying to push them through. And as they're pushing this mass of people through to get in, there were like still a couple thousand people, I want to say, on the outside. They're pushing these people into these pens, which is sending them right through this hallway, and they're heading down to I these I think it was more so that people were pushing people through the pens. Because what... What I heard ended up happening, and you might be getting this, so the turnstiles were going too slow. There was a gate kind of next to the turnstiles, kind of offset from it, called Gate C. And it was only open for exits. But then they opened that, or somehow that got opened. And I think it's because that guy was like, hey, we're not just open that. And those people, if you're just having a mass of people then pouring in, not kind Mm -hmm. of slower through turnstiles, all those people, it was like one central big tunnel that came out into the pens. But then before it opened into those two central pens, it branched off, like you said. 
you have all those people just pushing through and no one's branching off to those other pens. So now you have basically just a wall of people or a column shoving into this tunnel. And the only way out of the pens, you couldn't get to the other pens from it. Because no. they were they were the fences, they weren't chain link, but like think of I'm trying to think of how to describe it. I never uh, see chain link when I see stuff over in England. It's always like the square. Yeah. But I Order mean fence. Yeah, steel posts. With spikes on top. With not it was where they had actually left like almost the prongs for the fence, but kind of spikes. Yeah, well, so you couldn't crawl over them. Yeah, it was meant to keep section of players fans. from coming off the pitch, and that's why they had those fences there. If you watch some soccer now, I think because a lot of it is seeing, they don't have like a huge fence right there, or they've actually even pushed it back to where there's spot between the field. Smaller stadiums or older stadiums, basically it was the goal and maybe a couple feet, and then fences where the fans were, mm. right behind the goal. These fences have steel posts. And then did you see in the pens, there were also some like rails, metal rails. And it was almost to almost prevent people from being able to push forward too much. Like it was almost kind of like not quartered, but you would come up like three steps. There would be like a rail. And uh, which up, to me, it doesn't make any sense because a rail is not going to stop. that. From it's happening. not. But what I think that meant to do is if one section started pushing forward, you could only get the weight of that section against the rail and not everyone behind it. That rail is going to give way eventually. It did. Though. One of them actually yeah. did. That's how a steel posted rail. Mm-hmm. And then did you see the images of the people against the fence? Yeah. I, and the ones that spilled down onto the pitch. Which... You see people literally just like in complete agony in different positions, not just like pressed against the fence at different levels too, sideways, diagonally, their faces and bodies just crushed against this. You know, when you take a, uh, like a dough and you put like a screen, like something over dough and it bulges out. Mm-hmm. Like you have people kind of like almost bulging out in the spaces in the, of the fence. Yeah. It was, they were literally trying to be pushed through a sieve and that's kind of what it was. Um, so what you were talking about with the gate C being opened, they radio back to Duck and Field shortly before the game started, and like, we can't do it. Duck and Field goes, okay, open gate C, start bringing them in that way. Um, as you alluded to, these two front pens filled up, and they filled up, I want to say it was like not a small amount beyond capacity, but they actually went through, and the safety people came through afterwards and said these pens were rated at a way too high of capacity. So these pens... From the get-go. Yeah, from the get-go. they The the max capacity on the thing said like 2,100 per pen. It was really like 1,600 per pen safely that they mm-hmm. could have, but they kept having these capacity just being passed and passed because they neglected to Or they didn't have count. issues. They're, we haven't had any issues yeah. in the last three games. Get, put another 100 in there. Yeah, and this went on for years before they said. But... This rush of fans that's being sent through Gatesy and these turnstiles are going into these two front pens. And it was just a mass of people. There were people that realized it was filling up too much that were trying to get through. When those massive people meet the massive people rushing in, it automatically creates that choke point to where you can't go one way or the other. There's still more fans coming in than there are trying to leave. So obviously they're getting pushed more towards the fence. And they started, people started spilling out onto the pitch after the fence finally gave mm-hmm. way. And they were being pulled out by other fans. Other fans were actually leaving their seats and running across while mm-hmm. I think the game was happening at this they, point. They this started one, I to, think, was six I minutes I think in. as soon as the fence collapsed, they started getting the players off the field. Mm-hmm. And then you saw people that were able to actually, like, of course, you had people that were getting crushed. Like, imagine, like, 
being crushed so much that like your internal, like that's what happened. Like when you say tube of toothpaste. Yeah. And you can't so much that your lungs can't even breathe. That's how you get crushed is like you suffocate it. A lot of people asphyxiated because your body is so compressed. Mm -hmm. You're not even able to pull air into your lungs. And you had people that as soon as that fence gave way, and it wasn't like all of it came down. It was like just like a small kind of section where people could get out. You had people crawling out and then collapsing on the field. They were, they said that, there were fans that were taking down these stadium advertisements to use them as gurneys to try to get people mm-hmm. away. Oh, and you also had people. So the standing area, once it came out of the tunnel, if you were to turn around, you were right against the wall. You had a, a section of seated fans above you mm-hmm. that were maybe, I think it, I think it was about 10 feet. And so you also, as soon as it started happening, you had people that were up there standing on people's shoulders and pulling Trying people to, to safety. Yeah. People getting pulled up that way. But for those people in the middle, just or against the fence, and again, it's a box. There's fences on. It's the same fence on each side too. I, it's just there's no reprieve. There's no way to get out unless you're luckily being saved by somebody else. So what ended up being the result of this one? <laughs> this one was just a colossal fuck up. And about I think this was the six minutes in. Six minutes into the game, um, the security sent message up to the commentators. The commentators said that. Uh, the disaster happening at the end of the field was caused by fans breaking through gate C to get in to see the game before it had started because they had shown up late and wanted to get in to see. This is my major point of contention with soccer, and I think this sort of fandom is people want to be sitting for the start of the game because if there's one goal that happens in the first two minutes, eh, it could be the only thing that they're going to see that's going to be exciting and action-packed. And so you want to see it from start to finish. And the fact that Duckenfield said no to pushing it back, to making these people come in, to open up gate C like he authorized, and then to pass up the memo saying, well, we didn't open up gate C. They crashed gate C to get in. It immediately shifts the blames to the victims. And what do you think? Like, I mean, because it would be pretty evident that they opened the gate versus like the gate being like broken into or crushed in or anything like that. Like, really think about that. Like, is this so much of a no? Because I'm I'm saying I'm on your side. Yes, yeah. I think it was horrible because I know that he he had them open that gate. What I'm just wondering is like, I understand he's trying to save his ass, but what do you think is gonna like? What do you have to show? You have people that you ordered to. You didn't walk out there yourself. You weren't the only one that walked out there and was like, "Hey, um, I'm gonna open this gate and have no one around you to see." And I understand there's probably people that are gonna lie for him that he's in charge of and everything, but. At some point, because he was actually found guilty, right? No. He didn't get inquired. There was... Uh, well, yeah, so we'll get into that. So when he says this and they announce that it was a fan-caused issue, everybody kind of gets a little curious about it because he said that one of the things that they wanted to do was they wanted to order blood alcohol tests on everybody that was either arrested or all the victims Mm -hmm. because they blamed over drinking before the game, which caused them to show up late, which happened that way. But there were a lot of people who had like family members that were going to be in the standing room, not that they were sitting with Mm -hmm. them, but they were, they were going to be in the standing rooms. There were parents that had children that were going to be in the standing rooms, obviously like 22, 23, something like that. But as they were going through and doing body identification on some of the victims from some of the fans that were there that knew that they had somebody in that area, mm-hmm. as they were identifying their own bodies of their own deceased family members and friends, the police are asking them what they did before the game. So 
you're not only having to deal with the loss of a loved one, but then they're questioning them in certain ways saying like to paint it out to be like, well, they got what they was coming to them. Well, yeah, because they were looking for a way to try to blame it on not the colossal fuck up of security, but the fans, because that was the initial story. And it went so far as there was two whole inquiries. So in 1990, there was something called the Taylor report that came out. The Taylor report completely cleared duck and field said that it was fan caused error they actually went on live radio and were saying the blood alcohol levels of certain fans. And they were even saying the ones that didn't. But they were also reporting at the end that the inquiry found that there were dead people whose bodies were pickpocketed after they were dead and that fans were actually urinating on the dead. So just trying to push that narrative further and fucking further that this was a fan-caused accident, completely clearing the security. I'm not saying, like, people, like, of course, like, there's going to, if they were saying, like, yeah, we found people that got peed on, of course you fucking got, found people that got peed on. Do you know what would happen if you were being crushed or once you died? Do you realize what happens to your body when you die? Yeah. You fucking lose all, like, of course there's going to, Jesus Christ. And they're saying that to try to further, like, to try to demonize the the fans. Paint the people, you know, less as victims. Like, uh, they were victims of their own circumstances type shit. Well, and this wasn't our fault. So, an inquest happens after that inquiry. Um, It was called the Popper Report. It, excuse me, went on for two years after this. Ended up clearing everybody of any sort of fault. They said that it was fan-caused, all that kind of stuff. These people aren't buying it, though. The the public knows that there's something really fucked up that's happening. And the fact that this took this long is still shocking that it's not completely settled because the people that were actually ultimately found negligible for what happened, Mm -hmm. they still haven't even been prosecuted yet. So the Hillsborough Independent Report came out in 2012. This was something that the people just said, fuck you. We're not going to accept this to the point where... You have 97 people dead. Yeah. How many families people and not just the 97 people dead how many people got injured by 766 this? and how many of those injuries do you think like the deaths is just the deaths just people that are no longer living do you realize that like it's not just like yeah you either died or you made it out all right yeah you were injured oh what well, do you spend a couple days no there were people that had like brain injuries because of this people that had bodily injuries they got stepped on broken bones you had some people i think that probably got paralyzed or at least some type of neurological damage. Not to mention lifelong mental trauma, waking up thinking that you're getting stomped to death. And all these people know, because of all the witnesses that were there, that this wasn't caused by the fans, that this was caused by... And you have people that are like, no, we just... The front people in Gate C were like, no, they let us in. This isn't just something that the report's going to come out, and they're going to be like, no, it's cool. they, They made it through inquiry and an inquest, so they covered it up that much. And what I'm saying, though, is you have this other report comes out, the initial report in 1990, this other report in two, or 2012. That's what I'm saying. You don't have people letting this go. No. As they, as they shouldn't. But what I'm saying is, like, these people are like, no, fuck this. You're not getting away with it. 20 plus years, basically. That's what I'm saying. That they just kept fighting. Like, how do you not look at it? I don't know if this is, like, how long the people that were involved in the cover-up were a part of government, and that probably could be that they kept pushing it to the back burner Mm -hmm. and back burner finally. I think once it had been determined, it's like you're having to get it back to neutral and then make your case. So it's that much harder. It is. And you had the people that were in power during this part that are still trying to cover it up and kick the can down. Or people that had been part of it that then moved into like, cause you have people that it's not just like a couple people. You have people that are also 
people under them that knew There's about it and everything. So those corners, people, yeah. So then, everybody. as those people want to work their way up or you know take their place, you're going to have people that are still trying to suppress it. I'm guessing. Yeah, and it it took them that long. It took them 20 plus years to finally get the Hillsborough Independent Report done. And it the way that the report came about, it was kind of interesting. It was a police inspector that got up to address the people. And before he could start talking, there was somebody that brought up the Hillsborough disaster and the fans all started, the people, not the fans, but the people that were there to hear him speak all started screaming about it. He finally starts talking, hushes the crowd and says, we will look into this. There will be a report. So the second report was a gold ring report. This took place from 2014 to 2016. So even still then four plus years later where they came through, they said the the alcohol, the intoxication, that was all negligible. That wasn't a big deal that happened here that we're not looking at that. We found that gate C was actually told to be opened by duck and field mm-hmm. and that these police didn't do their job. So there was a bunch of police that were finally held liable for it, and Duck and Field also was kind of the main guy. Um, not all of the cases have been settled yet. Like I say, Duck and Field is still in the process of getting what is coming to him for being the asshole that made this whole thing happen. So I mean, they'll be able to, people will be able to individually take him to civil trials and everything. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Because also, what you're, you know, what people kind of, I don't think people fail to realize it, but when there's something like that encompasses this many people, is that, you know because it was an incident in which was cleared, that means that like how many people maybe didn't get insurance payments to pay out for lawsuits know, their, going forward law time, you know, or people that had to then take care of family members who were impacted by this that have cost. So this is going to be something as soon as that report came out, thankfully those people could probably start opening then civil cases because that would also be the fault of both the stadium, the franchise and the whatever, probably the police precinct or whatever the government in that situation. Yeah. So you would have someone to go after then for financial compensation. Yeah, and it's at that point, I feel like I would jack up what I was looking for tenfold because I had to wait 30 years for this. Like that's a, an insane amount of time to be told that you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong until it finally comes time to pay the piper. Mm-hmm. I would be so fucking mad if it took 30 years for justice for somebody that I saw die. And we see that shit all the time now, unfortunately. But it's it, on that scale of people to know that there were – 97 people that died and 766 were injured mm-hmm. just in the, that section. Yeah. That yeah, tells it, you how many people were in that section. Yeah. I, I don't know what percentage were injured, but a higher likelihood than you would think. But yeah, as far as all stadium goes, it's peanuts, but just a, a complete failure of the whole system. I thinking about it. Net, woo, pu- <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that was puberty. Um, Thinking about it now, I... It's an emotional topic, Adam. Yeah, I I don't know what you would think of today. Like, I don't even know what that would look like in a stadium today because people put such an emphasis on safety in a stadium. You see a report if someone is drunk and falls off a concourse. Yeah. And it's sports center that night, and there's stuff about it. Someone gets hit with a foul ball. You know the entire story about it. That one person, and that, and sometimes mm-hmm. they're, yes, they're life threatening. Sometimes they die. But I'm, what I'm saying is that, like, this was, you know, 97 people. Yeah. I, and the, but the one that I always think about, kind of relating back to high school, 
was I think the guy's name was Stowe, and he got beat up outside of it. He was I think he might have been a Giants fan. He was either a Giants or a Dodgers fan, and ended up getting beat pretty much to death. Out, I think he ended up dying. That's right. But he got beat to death outside of the stadium of whatever corresponding one that was, and that was one dude. And we threw as many resources at that as possible, mm-hmm. I think, in the, the area that it took place in order to find justice. Yeah. That was taken care of pretty quickly. This whole thing just – it went on, and it drug and it drug. I, I don't know. Luckily, I think here, like I say, security is such a big deal that they have exit plans and they have egresses for people to be able to get mm-hmm. out. There's certain ways to do it. I don't – that's what I'm saying is I, I think some stadiums, depending on their capacity – like. Think of it this way. The stadiums that I think still have standing room or still allowed to have standing room are ones where the max capacity of the entire stadium has to be a lower amount. Because I know that the stadium for Wrexham does, but their max capacity for their entire stadium, including the sides, 10,000 people. So most of them sitting on the sides Mm -hmm. and then in those standing areas. With these stadiums that were built, these are literally tens, tens of thousands of people. So your standing room is almost the same capacity as some of those smaller stadiums that should only allow it, which is why I think in most cases, like if you look at like Wembley now, I don't think, I don't know if there's any standing room in Wembley. Well, and there also aren't fences that are blocking off certain areas. I think there still are. I think you just don't see them now because I think it's been designed that way. It could be, but exit points. Yeah. A stadium in America, you can go one way or the other way. You can go up and down. Like there's exit points unless you're up top. Yeah. But there's at least three exit points that the you crowd can get control out is to your go. seat. That's like the best crowd control because one true. seat for everyone, yeah. and this is your designated area. Yeah, that's uh, kind of the easiest way to fix mm-hmm. it is just to have a seat. Well, the last one um, is yeah. a big one. Yeah, that one didn't matter if you had a seat or not. No, Estadio Nacional was Estadio Nacional. Uh, it's got a lot of Latin flavor to it, and it was fucking <laughs> just tragic. Uh, bad, bad flavor. Yeah, and it it starts so much before you kind of can't tell the story of the Estadio Nacional without kind of looking at where Peru was before it all happened because it was less than two decades before that there was a coup and a military overthrow of the government. Mm-hmm. And so the people in power of Peru, which in South America, it feels so much like those countries are just up for grabs. You hear a lot of the, the word coup, I think, before certain events happened. Uh, <laughs> coup to me has always had some association with, um, yeah, Central America, uh, Cuba, South America. Like, because just because you hear about that kind of stuff. And politically unstable situations are always going to be kind of more cause for panic. And Peru was, they were a, a working, functioning country. They were the, they were a country, but the power and leadership inside of Peru had been taken over by force. So there's going to be more of a police presence. There's going to be more of a, a security state, if you will, in certain areas. And they know that they want to quell any sort of uprising that happens in the people because they had to take it by force. They don't want to be taken over by force. So Getting uh, with that kind of laid out, um, a study on Nacional took place before the other two, way before the other two, May 24th, 1964. Um, it was an Olympic qualifier for the Tokyo Olympics, and it was between Peru and Argentina. National shit. 
Yeah. This is, so this like, is this is, comes back to what we were saying. This isn't just and here's the deal. This isn't a fan on fan thing. Not at all. But what I'm saying is that you have, you know, this is like huge. And this is the Olympics. I don't know where I'm sure what. Um, I think there's always been. I kind of seen kind of what the significance between the Olympics compared to the World Cup would be. Yeah, and I, the World Cup is okay. This okay. This is the reason. World Cup has always been the actual top one because again, it only happens every four years. But I get the Olympics only happens every four years. But for the longest time, the Olympic teams. Do you remember in Miracle? The whole big thing about Miracle on Ice was because it was a bunch of amateurs. It wasn't professional mm-hmm. hockey players. It was college kids. And then it was the same thing with basketball until the Dream Team happened and we started getting professional athletes in it. With this, it was still huge because this is an Olympic stage. This The Olympics are still huge. What I'm saying is it's maybe not as big as a World Cup matchup would be between these two. Yeah. Because this is also to get into the Olympics, too. It's uh-huh. not at the Olympics, but it still determines who gets there to compete yeah. and represent South America or a big portion of South America. Cause Peru isn't Chile's the long one that goes down. Mm-hmm. Peru is below Colombia. I believe Peru sits right on top of Chile. Okay. On the coast. And then like above it is Colombia and something. Then Argentina comes down the other side, right? The other. Yeah. Kind of, okay. Still, there's gotta be huge national implications and pride going on for this. Well, there is. And going back to the, f- the front half of the podcast talking about the fact that they, they don't have anything else. This yeah. is their form of entertainment. If you're not at the stadium, you're listening to it on a radio or whatever, whatever you have. Oh yeah. There's probably a national holiday the next day because, yep. or, or it in itself is during the work week, it's a national holiday and it's taking place in one of the countries that it's happening. And so unlike Hillsboro or unlike, yeah, I guess maybe no, I'm sure Sheffield and Nottingham forest probably have to be. Hillsboro was one of their, it was at Sheffield was probably Nottingham Forest. Oh team. no, it's not because Sheffield is Sheffield Wednesday is the name of the team. Oh okay. So, but it was still it was in the same country. Yeah. So it was easier to travel to like the one that was in Belgium. Yeah. Heisel is going to be in a different country. This is you're on Peru's home turf. Mm-hmm. So game gets kicked off. Um, Peru needs a win or a tie in order to advance to the Olympics. Argentina needs a win. Argentina goes up one nothing fairly early in the game. Um, it's a battle back and forth the entire game. A 50-50 ball comes up with a couple minutes left in the game. Uh, the I think it was an Argentinian defenseman and then one of the Peruvian strikers come up to the 50-50 ball. Peruvian striker kicks the ball, uh, gets deflected off of the Argentinian, and as it gets deflected off of the Argentinian, they don't necessarily touch, but there is a little bit of like close kind of contact mm-hmm. together. Ball deflects off of the um, Argentinian, mm-hmm. and it goes in the Argentinian goal. It, it deflects so, over the goalie or something. Yeah, it ends up being a self-goal. Yep, so it, it would have been an own mm-hmm. goal in this situation. Uh, Argentinian goalie goes over to the referee, pleads his case, says that there was contact on the 50-50 ball. The ref was... Y- Uruguay. Uruguayan, yeah. yes. I was trying to figure out how to say that. Uruguay, Uruguayan. Yeah, Uruguayan, I think. Um, ends up talking to the ref, kind of giving him a little bit of shoulder talking to him. Ends up talking to the ref, saying that there was a collision on the 50-50 ball, which then nullified the goal, which meant that Peru didn't get its tying 
potentially Olympic sending goal. Which it's not a 50-50 ball. At that point, it became a 60-40 ball because the guy from Peru got it first, yep. was able to hit it against the guy from Uruguay and put it in the goal. What occurs after that is not part of that action of the ball going into the net. No, nothing at all. Once that ball is off of the, the foot of mm-hmm. the player, it's yeah. it's it's no different it's than free. on a penalty kick, having that wall 15 feet away from you and kicking it. It's just the distance between the kick. Exactly. It, it, yeah. So the referee waves off the goal. Um, Argentina goes back up one nothing. Obviously, the fans in Peru just saw themselves get fucked on the pitch right before their very eyes. And there were some fans that definitely took exception to it, but it hadn't really kicked off. Like, it was just kind of like angry fandom at that point. Mm-hmm. There were two kind of crazy dudes that came off um, from the stands. One of them, the first guy, oh, God, I forgot his name, but it, it, he was a bouncer. Mm-hmm. And so big dude came out to confront the referee. Security picks him off before they drag him off the field. Still a lot of chaos going on. Second man runs out. As he's running out, security takes him down, and then six, two of the police dogs on the guy on the field in front of a 60,000-fan stadium. He was, uh, the total capacity was 53,000. Okay, so 53,000 But people. the stadium was, like, at capacity. And I want to say even that after this happened, they looked at the stadium, and they were like, uh... We're gonna just take six thousand people. They, out yeah, here. they they cut the. Capacity. So what is what does that tell you? Like they, what, they what we're is pushing that? the boundaries in the beginning. Already. If anything, even imagine this: like you're you feel okay taking six thousand seats out of there. So how many did you go over the initial estimate? Did you go like three thousand over? Should it were there more mm-hmm. people? Like I th- I feel like you're correcting a mistake after something happened that should have never been there in the first place. Well, and it really, to me, feels like a they were searching for something. I don't know if the capacity was really the issue that happened here. Mm-hmm. But instead of doing what you did with the first guy that ran onto the field and taking him off, and I'm sure beating his ass up in the concourse, like away from all this mm-hmm. purview of all the people, all these fans are sitting there watching their Peruvian citizen brother, sister, mother, just uh, one of them. Mm-hmm. Be probably beaten not, probably di- not probably not sister mother. No, uh, maybe yeah. okay. <laughs> brother brother father yeah, cousin. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how he identifies. Maybe it could be. <laughs> Who knows? But they just see this dude get beat like a rented mule in front of all of them, and it immediately it, these people were just taken over less than two decades ago by a military style government mm-hmm. that it has to. The feeling has to be like no, you know this. This is some shit that we're seeing live mm-hmm. now. These people feel that they have so much power over us that they didn't even think twice about beating this guy to death right now, in front of Now you're doing this like at a match? Like this is supposed to be, if anything, we need an escape from all this yes. shit. This is supposed to be our escape. Like we're already pissed off about this stuff and now you're bringing this shit to like the one place that it shouldn't, like that it shouldn't be. It, it just, it, it boggles the mind to think that they had enough feeling of force that they could just do this out in the open. Well, and it shows right here because like, People started, of course. I don't know if anyone else invaded the pitch because they didn't say. They did. Okay. They, they started firing did. tear gas off like almost immediately. Well, and yeah. So uh, before the tear gas pops off, it, the fans have become very raucous. Mm. Older people. In this one section. Like people up in the seated sections over to the side. I think it was kind of everywhere just based on how the. Well, where they fired, but it's I'm saying where they fired the tear gas. So it was where the two guys had come onto the field. Mm-hmm. was, I think, like the North Grandstands. And so that's when when they came on. I don't think a lot of people probably in the other sections of the stadium 
probably fully knew kind of what was happening. They probably saw someone come on, but couldn't really get a view. Because the reason where this happened anyway in the stadium, I'm sure other stuff had happened, but the north section is where this all occurred. And what it sounded like they did is when people started trying to come onto the field, like more people, they fired the tear gas, not like back into the crowd. They fired it toward the front of the crowd. And that's what kind of caused the the initial like rush. Yeah. And it could have been, uh, my take on it was the people that weren't down to clown and mm-hmm. in, in on the, the fighting back all started to leave. Okay. They, they all headed down towards the exits. I guess and, I think that is actually what happened. I think you're right because the, it's this whole thing. I'm going to jump ahead just a bit and then we're going to come back to this, uh-huh. which explains kind of one of your points. Regardless of when they were leaving, you had a whole bunch of people starting to leave beforehand. They couldn't go anywhere. So they couldn't go anywhere because all of the exits yes. were closed with the corrugated gates. Yeah. So they had basically three doors that would let people into the stadium. And when the match started, they actually closed them to keep people from coming in. It was one of those situations where if you wanted to leave, you were out and you had to go through a certain exit that was being watched. So they had these three and they had corrugated steel shutters, which I guess were kind of a newer thing at the time. Not all the but think of like the steel shutters that would be, I'm trying to think of it like a heavy garage door, like the heavy duty ones that you would see like on a business. Yeah. Like for security. I mean, it's for security. So even the ones that kind of pull down at a mall in front of all the stores, but not like the ones you can see through the bar ones. To me, what I kind of think of is like the large corrugated roofing panels mm-hmm. were probably like just welded to the outside of these doors. So mm-hmm. the doors were probably eight to 12 feet tall, I would say, just looking by some of the pictures. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like, it wasn't a fence. It wasn't something that you could see through that you could climb. No. It was solid. Yes, yes, solid. So these were closed. So any of the people that initially started getting out and wanting to get out before people started even rushing the pitch mm-hmm. and those people had nowhere to go. So yeah. those were the people just pretty much sitting and it was just a straight tunnel going down to these and you couldn't come back because as soon as you started to come back, you were met with more people trying to get out. Yep. Cause they initially were ready to fight. And then once the tear gas hit mm-hmm. in those bottom sections, that makes sense. Started making towards the exits too. Yep. So you have two forces, one smaller, probably weaker, more frail, not as if you have aggressive. a family and kids, you were getting the fuck oh, out yeah. of there at that. And so those people that were in there first were probably the families. And, and that's what fucking makes it even like, we haven't even said the death toll on this, but it's <laughs> so much more than the other ones that, and then realizing what I just said and everything, like not getting emotional or anything, but that's like, that's the first time I actually kind of connected those dots that like, if I was in that situation, First thing I'm doing, if stuff's looking like it's popping off, I'm grabbing my wife and kid, and I'm yeah. heading for someplace. Hey, you're you're headed for the exits. You're headed for the safest place. And uh, when we talk about death count, the death count was literally just from the initial issue that happened with the gates and with the crushing and the smashing. So uh, once everything started going nuts and the bedlam started happening, they pushed all the teams off of the pitch. Mm-hmm. And as they were in the locker rooms, they really want to know what was going on. Cause they were locked in. So they sent one guy back out to the pitch to take a look. He comes back and he goes, uh, there's two people that are dead. And they're like, well, the two guys that rushed the field. And he's like, no, they were shot. 
There were, he, he could only see the people on the pitch. Yeah. He and, couldn't see what was going on down in the tunnel or any of that shit. There was tear gas and everything. Yep. He was just looking like out right where he could see out of the locker room or like the tunnel or whatever yeah. it is. And so the number of deaths that we're talking about is solely just from the crush. It's not from the gunshot wounds because the gunshot wounds were never reported. And there are people that were just missing mm-hmm. afterwards that were never identified that they're pretty sure at this point were gunned down on the pitch and then brought off by governmental agencies to try to say, well, this was just this issue. This wasn't mm-hmm. us shooting and using lethal force with yeah. citizens that had rushed the pitch. Yeah. So we don't even know what the whole death toll is, and the injury toll is very up in the air. So 328 people, 328 people, the amount of people that died in the crushing event that happened because they couldn't get out of the stadium. Finally, eventually... The doors gave way. Yeah, they, they gave way into the streets. Like like you were talking about, this was a stadium that was built in a rural area where there was a million people out in the streets mm-hmm. around the stadium at bars listening to these events. It, you're at, it's the whole state, though. It was in Lima. The entire blocks around the stadium would have been just set up for a huge party. Yeah. And now you basically... Can you imagine being out there on the street near that accident and all you just hear are screams and pounding and everything like that? And you can't open the doors from no. the outside because that's what they're built or to do. Or you're trying or you're trying to help or... Yeah, I just an insane amount of chaos that happened. And injury reports, obviously by the government, 500, you know, a large number, but initial things that came out afterwards and kind of some of the non-government owned agencies said that it was upwards of 2000. So I'm I'm going to say 2000 might be a little high, but I would say I think it's five, I think that's being modest. You think? Yeah. I really yeah. do. Um here's the other thing too. Just and this isn't like it's not even tinfoil hattie. There were six minutes of time left in this game of normal time, and so what that means is basically in soccer you have your two forty-five minute halves, and then extra time you get extra time for like if someone goes you know how long it takes for an injury in a soccer. stoppage a card yeah. so stuff like that oh, yeah so, it's just called stoppage time yeah so it? you can get like a couple minutes you can get up to like maybe like six minutes i think that's high for it, stoppage time it's a number dependent on what the referees feel like there was for interruptions slow, to the flow it, yes, of the interruptions game. Dur- yep. yeah so commercial breaks or whatever um so you'll get a little bit of extra time after the game there were six minutes of normal time so maybe 12 minutes total why, out of that entire time, do you not feel like you should start opening the gates? Because people will start maybe trying to leave. I realize not a lot of people, but you understand that at the end of this game, you are going to have a mass exodus. Why are you not opening this with six minutes left? Why aren't these open? It's very true. The only thought that I would have to combat that would be, if there was a major Peruvian goal scored or if they won, that the people would then rush the have stadium. people watching the doors or something like that. Like, I'm, yeah. I, oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's ways around all of this. Yeah, have have a few police. Because there were obviously police there on the pitch. There, yeah, Why yeah. don't you have someone just watching the doors and be like, no one's getting in. No one's getting in. Yeah, it <laughs> – the whole thing was just an absolute failure again. Just like the Hillsborough disaster, it was a, a failure of security and a failure of protection. And once this all happened, the Peruvian government, which was the the government that won the coup, um, asked for an investigation, which was fairly surprising. The coroner that released his report said that he had gone to each and every one of the 328 um, autopsies, autopsies mm-hmm. which... Mathematically, it just wasn't possible. 
Because the report, he would have had to have, I don't know how that all works as far as like how many you can do in a day, but it just wasn't possible. He had said that um, the injuries were, of course, related to being crushed, smashed, asphyxiation, all these different things that are caused by these stampeding events. I just, I, and I just read something too, that whole area going down to those doors was like a fucking stairwell too. So it was like, think of not even... I, I know that doesn't... I don't know if that makes a significant difference, but in Way my mind more. it does. But like, so people are just probably as they are just rolling over the tops of people. So you have just as those shutters, you just have a wall of bodies just falling out. And then people that maybe are still underneath that, that are still like how... Because then you have people trampling to get out now that it's like... If you're... This is a very morbid way to think about it. And I had to really think about it if I want to point this out, but... If you're on flat ground and you're being stepped on, it's going to hurt because you're being pushed on in one area from the top side. If you're on stairs and you're being stepped on, you're being pushed on that area by that and then by the front nose of every single stair. Yeah, you're, it's along not just, your, the weight's the not part distributed. Part. Yeah. You're just getting, like if one's in your sternum or your ribs and all the weight's down on that, exactly. it's breaking. So, yeah. or, your, or your head. Yeah, yeah. You, you have one point on your head and one point on the other side of your head and it's just like a fucking coconut at that point. Like it's it's way worse than it is stairs. And the coroner releases a report, says that the cause of action that led to the disaster was caused by the tear gas on the field, forcing the people to stampede the other people that the doors weren't open for. So it was it was a governmental fuck up being a totalitarian, totalitarian government. I think that's the right, yeah. probably what you'd want to call them, mm-hmm. um, rejects it says that he was wrong and sent that guy to jail. That that was the guy that was in prison. The they did make some concessions. They said that the I think it was the leader of the police force or whatever, he got suspended and spent like a suspended 9-month sentence never going to jail, mm-hmm. but got a slap on the wrist in court and that was just where they left it. They've gone through, they've renovated the stadium, like Chris said they took seating out of the stadium and it's a really beautiful like pinnacle of lima i'm sure stadium now it was like when they built it that was their national it's the stadio nacional it's yeah, the national, national imagine stadium. if imagine if in our country we didn't have like every new nfl stadium surpasses the next the last yeah the most beautiful of all being allegiant stadium uh, yeah it's the newest um well it's not technically the newest but it is the what's best. newer is sofi newer Sofi's newer really yeah not by much. No, not by much. But huh. every new stadium surpasses it. So I think we're so used to saying that. Imagine if we had a national... Like, can you imagine what the fuck our national stadium would look like? It'd be like the Coliseum probably back in the day. For, but, like, for much Rome. bigger. Like, we, it would see... Oh, yeah. Too, like, look at look at how many seating we have at certain NASCAR races. Like, Talladega, I think, seats 200,000. Or Daytona. I think it's Could Daytona be. that seats. Because, yes. of course, it's so big. But, like, think if we... We're just like, let's build. It'd seat fucking 500,000 people somehow. Well, in, in wrestling, there's a term that they use for WrestleMania called the grandest stage of them all. Mm-hmm. But it's always a massive stadium. Like, they'll do them in football stadiums now because that's usually what holds most of the capacity is yeah. the outdoor football stadiums. We have college stadiums but that hold 100 We have college plus. stadiums that are, I college. think there's at least three that I can think of that are bigger than NFL stadiums, which are then the next biggest Ohio state, the shoe, Ohio state, the shoe, the big house. And then something in the sec, I'm guessing. Yeah. It's probably Bryant Denny, probably in Alabama, but it might be death Valley for LSU. Texas A&M has a huge one too. 
Who? Texas A and M, don't they? Um, Red River Stadium, I know, is pretty decent. Yeah, Kyle Field could be yeah. pretty massive. And we have stadiums now that don't even have shit to do. They're just held for one college football yeah, game a year. But we literally just named two handfuls of stadiums that are bigger than any professional stadiums, but they're hundred thousand seating capacity stadiums. And I'm not sure. Oh yeah. But those are like college stadiums. If we had one massive like stadium to end all stadiums, it would be 200 plus seating capacity easily. Wait till we get the next Olympics and see what happens. But that's the thing is it's going to be in LA, right? No, how they, no, they I, pick I, it. I don't I, think it's far enough out to pick it yet. Have oh, they already yeah. picked the next one? I want to say it's LA. I'm pretty sure. So it the is. next summer's Olympic is going to be in LA. Maybe not the next one. 2027, maybe some shit like that, or 2028. Yeah, and they, between whatever. SoFi and like the stadiums that were previously there, where did the Rams used to play? Uh, the Coliseum. Okay, so between that, they and then, want to do a lot. I'm yeah. talking about wait for the next Olympics to happen in a country that's other than ours, like, and you're going to see some crazy shit. Well, and even talking now. I don't want to make light of it, but you kind of have to. Qatar built an entire like city of stadiums over a certain amount of time using slave labor. We're not not saying that any of that is bad, but they had a certain amount of time. I, I think I said that wrong. It's awful. They they use slave labor. That's inexcusable. It's a terrible thing. Whatever I said before, just maybe. I think that no. I think version. you just repeated yourself. Okay. I hope I did. I heard you repeating yourself. But so. it's. The they built just these massive soccer stadiums in somewhere that I think it's outside of. I don't know cities in Qatar. Yeah, I blanking too. But they built all this stuff that's only going to be used for this. Like yeah. it, it's not it, we're not holding anything. Qatar Qatar's not big enough to be able to fill any of these stadiums, so they're going to fall into disrepair and all that. But if we just had one that like we played every single thing at, like that's where the Super Bowl took place every year, and that you could maybe not the finals because finals and World Series are both held team team, mm-hmm. but just any big game that happens, the BCS National Championship game, yeah. um, I think any, you could sell that out as a concert easily. Yeah, and it would just be massive. And that's what this stadium was in Peru. It doesn't have even the slightest marker of this Estadio Nacional disaster in it now. Like, there's no plaque, there's no statue. They want to erase that from history because they don't want to have that in the minds of the people. It's just so crazy to me that you wouldn't recognize an event where 328 reported people died... Of and, your, uh, and how many of those of your country, countrymen, mm-hmm. countrymen, women, and thousands of people were injured like that. To me, that just blows my mind. And maybe it is a form of government or whatever, but to not make light of that and even to really find material to read up on it. Like there was a few good sources, but it wasn't nearly as covered as Hillsborough or Heisel was. I know. Yeah. Kind of surprising. It's kind of weird to like compared this kind of stuff. And I know that the most recent one, of course, was 1989. Again, we went with like larger disasters. If you look at pretty much any type of sporting event, not any type, but you look over the years, there's incidents at every single sporting event, whether it's fan on fan violence or anything like that. If that kind of stuff happened to the degree it did there, as it does here, or our country had any history of these types of disasters happening, these would be something that would be remembered as a sports fan. It was something you'd automatically know about, even if maybe you weren't a fan of that sport. Yeah. Well, uh, like how many people that aren't like 
I'm not like, I don't watch basketball really. Like mm-hmm. I'll watch finals game if it's on or something, if it's on the back or whatever. But I know about, you know, Ron Artest charging into the fucking stands. That was one thing that I just kept going back to and looking at this. Malice in the Palace is what Chris is referring to. It was 2000s, I'm going to say. I can't, I'm not going to nail the day. But uh, it was a game between the Pacers and the Pistons. It happened in the Palace of Auburn Hills in Detroit, or outside of Detroit. Um, fans weren't happy with Ron Artest. He was a forward for the Pacers. And he ended up getting ejected from the game for a dirty foul, stood on the announce table as fans started throwing trash, shit, all sorts of things at him. Um, Steven Jackson, another Pacers forward, got into it with a fan on the bench and ended up throwing a crazy sucker punch. Jermaine O'Neal punched a fan, just bedlam that happened. But this was only like, I think there were like 12 or 13 people that were injured throughout the whole mm-hmm. entire thing. And, and it was on TV. We have the yeah. cameras were on it. So, I mean, everyone saw this, like the only, you can see some footage has been pieced together. Some of it's still some of it, but all you're seeing on this footage is when the camera pans over to the actual stands and you see the tear uh-huh. gas and everything, you're not seeing what's happening in the fucking stairwell or what happens when those shutters give way or anything. Imagine if there was like footage of that, like that would, everyone would know about that. It's well, just that it happens, you know, this stuff happened so long ago that I, I don't want to say it sounds casual, but if you told someone about this and I hope people do find this interesting, we do definitely. Oh yeah. What I'm saying is like, man, 328 people died during this disaster at this soccer stadium. I think some people would just kind of be like, Oh, well that's a lot of people. And they wouldn't really grasp like, no man, like, do you, have you seen a group of 320 people? Like imagine all those people just like dead. Yeah. Getting crushed to death. Well, and the malice in the palace, we still have decades later, we have documentaries about them. We have all this, Mm -hmm. it, it changed the way that security was run at events. Yeah. And that's the kind of shit that happens here that one person falls off a concourse and it alters the entire procedure for the stadium. We don't serve alcohol after this time. Yeah. Now we have guardrails of like, we jump on this stuff so much more now, and I don't know. I'm sure there was probably some weird things that happened in the past, like the uh, the San Francisco earthquake that happened in the 90s. There was a baseball game going on at uh, Pac Bell or whatever it was before Pac Bell in San Francisco, but part of the stadium was damaged, and it changed the way that stadiums were built in order to sustain something like an earthquake. Mm-hmm. Like Even a natural disaster that's out of the hands of everything else changed the way that stadiums were built just in case these things happened. And I don't know how they run things in England now, but to know that these events still happen, like just happened in um, Indonesia where I was talking about at the beginning, like that shit still happens to this day in mm. other parts of other what happened with parts that of again? the world. That was they. It was the same thing as the stadium announcing out. They fired tear gas. Yep, and it caused the stampede event. Shit like that happens because there's not safety measures in place Mm -hmm. to get people out of places safely. It just it blows my mind that even things like that can still happen. But then it also shows like America for railing on it in the beginning for not having good whiskey and not having the best food and all that kind of shit and just. Things that other countries do well. We do try to take care of people at unimportant stadium events Mm -hmm. (laughs) better than other countries do. I think part of that, and this is probably the last bit I'll say on it. I think part of that relating it to something that maybe kind of sounds out there. 
But it's not cheap to go to a fucking football game, man. Uh-uh. Not at all. So the people that are going there do, I think, have a an investment to try to act right there. Of course, you see shit all the time of people in the fucking passed out in the fucking bathroom or fucking in the <laughs> urinal trough and shit. Shitting people getting themselves. in, yeah, shit themselves, throwing up in the seats. Those are season ticket holders. That yeah, have been passed. <laughs> tickets have been passed down the family. And even then, that's a fucking victimless crime. Like, I know. that's something that they did to themselves. But then you imagine like all of these different teams in. You know, the country. Imagine if, like, there was a ton of coverage, like, at um, single-A or double-A baseball games. Oh, that shit, shit probably gets crazy at those games for fans. Yeah. But, like, you have these teams, the, these smaller teams, to where tickets are probably cheap. Like, anyone can get, like, it's not a huge, it, it is an investment, but you have people that maybe are part of a more undesirable fan base that are like, oh, fuck yeah, I can afford tickets. We're doing shit like dollar beer night to fill the stands. There you go. And, yeah. uh, we want to bring more people Dukes. in. <laughs> <laughs> we want to bring more people into the stadium, feed them alcohol just to be here That's at the a biggest thing. Rate. At what point does it become, we want to fill the stadium, <laughs> but do who do we want to fill the stadium with? Then you got to make that compromise of being like, well, they, their money spends, man. Yeah, that's what it is. Cash is king. It's mm. just... That's something funny that I never really thought about, but any of those things that they do, like dollar hot dog night or anything, that you're not catering to a fan as much as you're catering to a casual fan that wants to come in and eat like mm-hmm. twelve hot dogs mm-hmm. for twelve dollars. Like they're they're looking for a good meal first. And you're already if, you're on the fence. You're not far enough on the fence to be like, yeah, I want to go to this game. But that you see that dollar dogs and beer night, and you're like, okay, that makes my decision. Deal. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on the fence about for that. No, I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> I'll go to the fifth inning. All right, man. Well, you got any other uh, final thoughts? No, uh, just fucking be safe at sporting events. And I I don't know who you're cheering for for the World Cup, but I hope that they all lose. <laughs> all right, later, guys. Peace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe and like button. Follow us. If you didn't like what you heard, still hit that anyway, because we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like. Um, please follow us on our social media. Adam, hit him with it. Uh, our Instagram is historically high pod, historically high pod, and we are on Twitter at historically high. That's historically hi. All right, and if you guys want to send in any feedback, suggestions, hit us up on those two, or you can even do it on Gmail. It's historically high podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again. Peace.